it's the staple of Systema. You know, we've known for a long time that it comes from health to combat, and you take a, a calm, stable psyche, smooth movement, strength through the movement, through the range, good breathing, you know, into combat. And it, it, it's hard to go the other way. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Glenn, thanks. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and it's great to be back and to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I've been uh, thinking a lot about um, you and my other mates uh, in in Europe and uh, in, in the UK, and uh, what how you've been faring under things. Obviously, there's different situations going on in the world um, between you know different degrees of lockdown, different degrees of containment and isolation measures going on, things like that. And um, but you seem to have done a really good job of kind of pivoting and, and offering things online, um, both in terms of kind of live classes for your students that are showing up and also um, building some more kind of resources and things that people can download. And that's great. And maybe you can tell us a little bit more later on about um, what you're building next and, and how that's going. Yeah. But first up, kind of how are you holding up in an obvious self? You know, I mean, you've written several excellent books on Systema living and integrating Systema practices into life for the benefit of feeling more stable and stronger and more kind of uh, supported. Um, has your practice changed under the current conditions, or is it kind of a routine and business as usual and just kind of sticking to your uh, to your guns? Yeah, um, we've had the obvious change, of course, that uh, you know we're not having the physical contact that we'd normally have from Systema, which is a you know obviously a big part of it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and at the moment, uh, certainly in the UK, you know, we're not having the, the, the face-to-face kind of meeting um, contact, albeit socially distanced. But we, yeah. we have kind of waxed and waned in and out of that, you know, during the time. So, you know, right at the start, um, it, when it, you know, when uh, in about March, I think it was late, mid, mid to late March, wasn't it? That, that it yeah. first kind of, for the UK, certainly, yeah. when we first locked down, I, I remember going to class on a Monday night and numbers were quite low. And I thought, hmm, the writing's on the wall here. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, and I, I I came back and I spoke with Sarah, my wife, and, um, it, you know, I thought I need to find a way to pivot or switch here. And this was before kind of before I really knew about it. I didn't know about Zoom, really. I, yeah. I think I'd come across it once, maybe in a call I'd done with someone, but before that, oh, what, it was... What like, a quaint world that was when we all vaguely knew what Zoom was, and that, now we all live on it. <laughs> like, I know, I know. And, and so I did uh, uh, I did a quick... So we, we chatted, and, you know, it, for a couple of reasons, really. I knew I had to move. One, um, it's the way I feed the family, and, you know, the, you know, it's my business. It's my, you know, what, what I do. Yeah. Um, and two, you know, I had a, a kind of a big community of people who um, come to Systema for precisely the reasons that came up during the pandemic, you know, a, a time of high anxiety, high stress, uncertainty, yeah. you know, and, and a real need to look after your physical health. And, you know, it, it, there are obviously lots of messages last year, but if there was one message, it was, you know, the thing that came through loud and clear was more of an understanding of what well-being is. You know, we talk about fitness, we talk about exercise, you know, we talk about health, but well-being, you know, and that it's, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being, the link between the two, a little bit had a measure and, and, and a better understanding of the two. And, of course, that's that's systema right there. You know, that's 
Yeah. So it's you know it's a it, it it deals with your system, and yeah. and it, and you know the even the bits of your system that you can't go in deliberately and turn the dials. It shows you how to turn yeah. those dials through your breathing and things. So yeah. so I, I knew there'd be a need for it both in in my group that you know the people that come and train and and the wider world. So yeah, I you know that night when I came back on the Monday, I kind of started to figure out Zoom and and what to do and how to do it. And by the Tuesday, yeah. I moved online uh, yeah. just before the lockdown came into the UK. So, and yeah. basically it, whenever I would have had a class at the academy, I had a class on Zoom instead and I actually added one too. So that's uh, so, that's, that's basically what we did. But my, my first thought was like stability, right? My first yeah. thought is that this is going to go nuts and people are just going to be cast adrift into working from home and their daily routines are going to be messed up. And I just thought, what can I offer people? And I don't want to pivot to Zoom and try and show them new techniques and new movements and really like, you know, um, esoteric principles and systema. So they're learning new things all the time. I'm like, actually, the goal right now is just stability and having people just, you know, make sure that they show up. And so I'm like, the, the major goal is to just offer classes at the same times so that even if yeah. we can't meet face to face, we're seeing those people at the same times every week. And maybe, you know, we used to go to the pub on a Friday night. So I'm like pub quiz every Friday night, right after when we would have oh, trained, really? you know, virtual pub quiz. And I thought this is my biggest contribution. Just be a hub so that everybody still connects. Right. That was my first. Um, that was my first instinct when this went through. But it's been interesting to see if people have had different approaches to that. Right. There was it's almost like there's been two camps. One camp that's just been, I mean, we can get into the resistance to the idea of, you know, that COVID even exists or it's not that dangerous and stuff like that. I don't really want to get into that. But even for the the, pragmati the pragmatists that are like, OK, COVID exists and we're doing this. There's one camp that's just been really resistant. Like, I'll do the minimum that's necessary in order yeah. to, like, tweak my classes and my business model and things. I'll, I'll pretty much try and do what I was doing, but hardly changing anything and just hope that people come with me. And then people have been a little bit more creative. They're like, well, the game has changed. So I'm going to have to change my game, right? We're going to have to change the way that I'm doing things. And so some people have been dragged kicking and screaming into new roles and new work jobs. And other people, yeah. I think like yourself, have been like, let's get, um, you know, let's get proactive about this. And probably more than a little bit of your kind of command and leadership experience probably led you in that direction as well, I would think. So. Yeah, maybe I think. And, you know, I think certainly something the army teaches you, and I think it's, it's apparent now, is that, you know, if you're proactive, and and if you make a plan, even if that plan's going to change, it empowers you a little bit, and it changes the way you see a circumstance. You see more avenues of opportunity than you do problems. You know, because part of the plan is you look at the problems and you figure out how to get around them, and then you've thought that through when they come up and when you hit them. You know, and it, and it's it's a, a different psychological approach i think if you're proactive and you have a plan rather than see yourself yeah. as a victim you know or just kind uh, of ambling around yeah i think it's a great yeah. i think it was Patton that said something like um plans are useless but planning is everything right which i think is great <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely yeah. yeah and the other great when they using the army is that no plan survives contact with the enemy so right. don't get disheartened when you, your plan falls apart because the yeah. fact that yeah, the fact that you've planned means that you've considered all the things you need to consider to readapt and your adaption cycle is much faster and yeah. you're much more empowered because it, it's not a total shock you know you expect it to yeah and if nothing, if nothing else, it gives you something to do, right? Rather than yeah, waiting, right. you feel yeah. like, well, well, I'm doing something. Even if I'm going in the wrong direction, I'm doing something. So, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> so, 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 what was your what was your first instinct? How did you start kind of forming that plan? I mean, you said you went back to talk to Sarah and be like, okay, writing's on the wall here. We're not going to be able to do things that we were. What What was your first instinct for how you were going to hold your group together and keep things going? 
Uh, very similar to you. So firstly, to give them the stability to keep coming to class when they normally came to class yeah. and, uh, and give them that opportunity. Even yeah. if for some of them, you know, Zoom wasn't for them and, you know, uh, and I think a point you touched on about, um, you know, there's different ideas of, of COVID and, and, you know, uh, and actually I think the beauty of Systema is um, it doesn't, it, it, what matters is the effect it's having on your body and noticing that effect and knowing how to deal with it. It doesn't matter how that effect's coming in, you mm. know, it, it does. I used to, I used to work in crisis management when I came out of the army, and yeah. um, my boss was inspirational. Um, his name's Patrick Moore, but not the Patrick Moore. It's a different the astronomer playing some xylophone. Yeah. yeah, an equally <laughs> inspirational guy, and he had a like a what he called the black box approach to um, uh, contingency planning. You know, in a crisis, and he said, "What you need to understand first is." Um, what your business is critically dependent on, whatever that business is, whether it's a school, a hospital, uh, you know, a, a corporation or your household, you know, or for us, your health, you know, what yeah. is it critically dependent on? And then what you look at is how you keep that running, how you keep that up and running. So and then, you know, and, for, and I remember looking at other versions of crisis management because I had to write up the papers and things for him or for us to roll out, you know, and, and this is the approach we rolled out mm -hmm. in a really big, like 400,000 employees across the world, you know, and each country implemented this crisis management plan. And we used to encounter things right from pandemics mm. or, or epidemics, should I say, mm. uh, to, um, you know, we, we had the H, we dealt with the H5N1, avian flu, those things through to, it was a food services company through to food poisoning outbreaks to supply chain breakdowns, to earthquakes, murders, manslaughters. It was across the world, you know. And, yeah. and what we looked at was, you know, it didn't matter what the event was. What mattered is, was what critically kept the business running, you know, the people, the power, um, uh, the, 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 the good name, you know. We looked at what things were important for that, for that business in that place. And what backups did we have to keep those running? Yeah. And that was that was the whole part of it. So it didn't matter if it was an earthquake, a murder. You didn't have to think about everything that could possibly go wrong. All yeah. you had to understand was what needed to be protected and then work from there. And, and I think the system is great like that. You know, it, it actually doesn't matter that, it, that it's a pandemic that's come. How we mm. deal with it and how we work and how we keep ourselves sane, healthy, calm, efficient. Yeah is exactly the same as what we've been doing the whole time, you know? Yeah, and so it's kind of a maintaining your structure, right? Is the allegory, I guess. It's like, yeah, you're maintaining your psychological and business structure as well as your physical structure at the same time, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that kind of goes outwards from there. So, so yeah, but to answer the question, um, my training really, I've kept training about the same amount. And, you know, like there's been times when we've been able to meet up, um, mm. But, you know, in groups of six or then group, you know, larger groups when we did in the summer when we were outside yeah. and it was kind of socially distanced or luckily I have a family class, too. And I know you do, too. So the wonderful thing was to be able to bring families together and they could train physical contact inside their family bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. And so so that, you know, you, we were still able. And of course, we've been able to do that at home, too. So, yeah. Um, 
we we actually had a lot of trouble with our family class because it's um you know we we went to online for a little bit trying to get yeah. everybody to like show up online and do those classes and and there was definitely like kind of a technology on ramp where some of the yeah. parents and the kids were having trouble getting into that working at the same time we tried like you know live streaming it via facebook but then you don't get that interactivity you're just yeah. talking at people right where what you yeah. really want is to have a conversation going and fun and watch people doing things and let's do squats together and let's mirror each other and things um and we weren't getting that initially and then we tried to switch it out to zoom and there was some you know some i think in the early days of it we 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 didn't quite on ramp fast enough for the for the families or they they weren't kind of catching out with where we were going and then we lost some and then we uh, when we got the opportunity to meet in person and do outside stuff we had like a core family one or two that would show up right. uh, just two families right. and they kind of podded and did their thing and then one of the other families had to drop off because and also some of the parents have had hard times they've been made unemployed or lost jobs yeah. and things and we tried to support them by saying look it doesn't matter you know just <laughs> come like pay us whenever you get a job back you know just keep training you know we want but um but it's been hard for them they've had to you know Know, take the time to do other things or look for work or do other stuff and they fall off so we've essentially right now our family class is reduced to one hardcore family that shows up every week trains outside you know rain wind or snow and, and keeps oh, doing brilliant. their thing and, and everybody else is kind of in a bit of a holding pattern and and we, yeah. we've you know thought about offering them on zoom again but it's um people don't seem very keen especially since the kids are on like homeschooling with zoom all the time and like the last thing they want to do is get back on there again and maybe we haven't just been creative enough or innovative enough for our once a week class but we were only doing it once a week anyway on a saturday so i think by the end of the week when they've done school a week they didn't feel like yeah. coming back on again on a saturday and um with the numbers dwindling so we've kind of pushed pause on ours and we're like well you know once we get a chance to everybody's outside and they feel confident again but then the situation here in the states is a bit different to the uk as well uh, numbers yeah. are super ballooning it's, it's, yeah. there's a lot more um there's a lot of fear and it's, it's it's a difficult thing to manage as well but i mean it's great i mean massive kudos to you for having being able to keep that going and i think it's so important for families as well right now you know there's so much stress running through all the households for the parents that kind of trickles down to the kids that just having that yeah. outlet if you can keep it is it's it's invaluable i think yeah and um and and you know in terms of that's so yeah, I've had the structure. Um, mm. What have I changed really in my training? Not a great, something I have started doing every day rather than just uh, kind of now and again or, um, or at the end of a shower is having a douse. So mm. every day since the first lockdown, I've done a douse and I thought, let's do it every single day for a year. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I thought it's not good. I thought it's not going to last a year, but why not mm. do it every day for a year? And here we are nearly, a, nearly yeah. a year. Yeah. to the to the start you know march so yeah. um yeah i've i've done that you know come you know wind rain or shine um and 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 i think the other thing is i've been speaking to more people about it because um you know certainly like i said i think well-being uh, or wellness is as a term has exploded i think mm. if if there was a message last year um, you know, there were lots of messages, but if there really was one, I think it's the importance of well-being, you yeah. know, over and above just uh, physical fitness, yeah. health, um, you know, the, that understanding of mental well-being, physical well-being, the link between the two that we that we do in Systema, um, I, I think has been has been a real watchword. And also, you know, the the rising of breathing in the consciousness, I think. 
you know, out of that has come that, you know, it's been bubbling for quite a while. Yeah. And I think James Nestor's book, you know, really boosted it a little bit. And, you know, yeah. people have seen it through Wim Hof stuff. Mm. So, you know, I think that, um, that, that understanding of how important breathing is and, and obviously with COVID impacting your breathing, um, mm. in that way, I remember I released a video, uh, of just a couple of simple things to do. If, if you get it or, you know, someone that's got it, and they're having trouble with their breathing, a couple of very simple ways to orientate your body, think about your breath and, and use a couple of simple techniques to yeah. help. And um, and I had messages coming in from all over about it, you know, and, um, and, and you know, it's like one of those things you don't realize how important that is till you till you haven't got easy access to it anymore. Yeah, um, definitely. Breath is certainly one of those things. Hi, folks. Glenn here. As Systema for Life approaches its 100th episode, I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the show, all our listeners, and to everyone who's offered requests, encouragement, and feedback along the way. I also need to ask a quick favor. We have already enjoyed two years of high-quality interviews, insights, and ideas on Systema for Life. We'd like to keep the show going, and we want to keep it open to all, but we need your help to do it. It takes time, effort, and more than little cash to produce a podcast more than two grand a year at current hosting and production rates. We have no paid advertising, and we do it all off our own backs with help from listeners and generous supporters like you. So if you're a fan of Systema for Life and you get real value from the ideas and the conversations we create, then please take a few minutes now to subscribe at www.ncsystema.com support. Support at whatever level you feel like you can afford. Even $3 or $5 a month is a help. Think of it as buying us a beer or a cup of coffee once a month for our travels. So visit ncsystema.com support and use the buttons on the page to select your preferred monthly or annual support level. You'll receive a confirmation on sign up and you can cancel at any time. It could be a positive thing in the long run, I think, this kind of this regression to the, the understanding that we need a baseline or a foundation of well-being yeah. on, which, on which to layer what's been termed fitness right because i think in especially in the online space and increasingly now we you know we're all occupying that space alongside a bunch you know everybody else who's trying to hawk their fitness wares and wellness wares online that kind of i mean it's always been that way with gyms and things as well you're yeah. always kind of competing against other people running high intensity in interval training classes or you know kettlebells or whatever it's going to be you know like um, crossfit things like that but now there's this it seems like the online environment is absolutely flooded and it has been for some time and there's there's that kind of sense there's that category of like the next big thing the next faddish thing whether it's like peloton or you know like uh you know ever since peloton came out it seems like everybody's trying to figure out how can i do this for everything so it's like a boxing one now right where you get a box you know, a punch bag at home and you're doing it with a, a coach who's basically just timing you through high intensity interval training rounds there's like a yoga one there's a mirror that reflects with a coach in there doing things and everybody's kind of reaching it seems for a while it seemed like everybody was reaching just for that next big thing and they're like i'm bored with crossfit what do i do next now i'm doing animal flow what am i doing now now i'm doing cross boxing yeah. right or now i'm doing this ex extreme yoga thing or whatever it's going to be but i think a really nice that's still happening and there's still a lot of people especially in the fitness field who have had to pivot and they're like how do i get my thing online and there's all these ex this explosion of different fitness training modalities but underneath that there's been i think a, rec a recognition that a good number of people aren't interested in being the next superhuman if they don't even feel human right now right the, the, there's there's work to be done 
to get back from feeling depressed or get back from feeling, you know, chronically anxious or just feeling just out of yourself because you've been eight hours on Zoom meetings and your body's all crunched up and you've hardly been breathing. Yeah. Like going from that to a high intensity interval class feels terrible. And people are realizing they're understanding why it's because they haven't done the necessary work to open their bodies, to breathe properly, to restore their structure, both mental and physical. And then you can approach, you know, strengthening things on top. And I'm, I'm reminded of Konstantin Komarov's kind of pyramid of training that he talked about years ago and then kind of reified in his Sistema manual, where you have that foundation of your motivation for training. It's like, well, why am I really training right now? Right. And that's the most important thing. And then on top of that, you have your body and getting your body just wet ready for training and then your psychological attitude and getting your psyche ready for training and then on top of that you can wrestle you can do strength exercises you can do mobility you can fight with knives but it's like if you don't know why you're training and your body's not ready for it forget about the rest forget about psychological tricks forget about all the complex stuff and i think that's what people are realizing and so the why before used to be i want to be ripped i want to have the abs i want to do cool moves that other people aren't doing i want to do something exotic that nobody else is quite doing and now people the motivation is like actually my motivation is I just want to feel okay again right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the thing is uh, I think you know that kind of training 80% of people they're not going to stick at it for long anyway because you mm. you begin very quickly to know it's hard work well after the first session you know it's hard work and you start to dread going you know there may be a, a buzz for a couple of weeks but it's not going to be a long sustainable practice and and that's one of the key things and it's what I remember when I read in Vladimir's book, was it the 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 Sistema um, handbook? I think it was the Sistema handbook and uh, or guidebook, and and he talked about not being fanatical. Yeah. And I was in the parachute regiment at the time, and 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 he said, you know, train hard, but don't be fanatical about it. You know, I was in the parachute regiment at the time when I read that, and uh, you know, and. And because of its nature, the training is quite intensive, you know, that you do the physical training that, and the attitude to it, you know, to, to, to get through and, and, you know, to fight through and things. And um, I remember thinking, hmm, it doesn't sound very kind of military to me. Mm. And, but the older I've got, the more understanding I've got of that, you know, that you can't be fanatical all your life. You can't be fanatical for very long, really. And yeah. it leads you to some bad places, you know. And, and so having that balanced approach to it you know uh, and and of course now so much study is, is is coming to light that for your immune system smashing yourself every time you go in the gym doesn't do you any favors at all no, you no know, it breaks you down inside more than builds you up and you know now and again occasionally and i some in my classes you know i'll, I'll, I'll work them hard mm. um you, you know and, and not every class but now and again you know we'll work hard but just very occasionally and that's all you need you know just a, a mm -hmm. quick burst but the, if the majority of it is at a, a moderate intensity but that's kind of you know quite whole so mm -hmm. you know big range of movement very diverse movement you know thinking about your breathing having some massage in it um mm -hmm. you know some walking um you know that that covers so much of what we need and and so you know yeah i, I think that uh, you know the the the, the fitness sessions online that, you know, are the next big thing look like this or, you know, um, you know, can you do this? You know, very quickly they'll, they'll, they'll drop and come up and then they'll drop. But the thing I love about Sistema is the long-term nature of it, the long-term view of it, you know, and yeah. look at the example, Vladimir, you know, he's, 
he's better now than he was 20 years ago. And yeah, and something I've really found, the other thing that's changed for me, and I've seen it in Vlad, because I've been doing Vlad's classes, you know, is yeah, uh, great. It, it, it makes you teach in a different way. You know, he's Vladimir, you know, uh, more than anyone I've met is a come and feel it. You know, this is how it should feel like. And of course, that's maybe one of the ways to, you know, I, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand, you know, mm. to feel it is is maybe one of the only ways. But you can see him in classes having to reach down inside and figure out um, how to convey the feelings that he's feeling when he's doing different movements and mm. achieving different effects. And it's bringing a whole new dimension to things, you know, and we've all got different learning styles. And But sometimes, you know, I've heard him say things in class and it's gone you get that lovely penny drop moment or you do yeah. it according to what he's saying and then you feel it differently and yeah. it's lovely and, and you know he says and, and I, I can see in my classes too you know people improving in a yeah. way that people never thought they would improve by watching and you know most people including me had a, a, an idea about zoom classes that well this will do for now yeah but actually it probably won't leave my repertoire of what I do now, you know, my sure. operates. And and I think the same, I know I've spoken to Valerie and she says the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Vladimir talks about being very pleasantly surprised with how yeah. much people have been able to improve through this medium. So we, we've had an interesting thing with ours in that we've been, at least in, since the summer, we've been working kind of a hybrid system. For a while, we went 100% online, as mm. you talked about, you know, we pivoted and we just did Zoom for like months on end. Uh, and then we got to a place in the summer where we had the capacity we could meet outside and social distance. Yeah. And actually, we, we even imposed measures that the government wasn't imposing, right? Or even the state government, we were like, we're going to keep extra safe. We don't want to be the, you know, the spearheads of the super spreader event or anything like that. I cancelled all the really big seminars um, yeah. for the most part. We did one with Martin Wheeler, interestingly, that I nearly didn't run. We do every mm. single year. Um, normally, it's 50 people and we do it in this big fencing hall and, you know, beat the snot out of each other and everybody changes partners and it's multiple attackers. And I nearly didn't run it and I decided to run it instead with just 25 people. And we did it all outside in this massive state park. And then we did pods of people that came, you know, and it's mostly people locally anyway, but we had some people from Virginia and some people from DC. And then we said, if you're coming from DC, you're going to stay with those people the entire journey, the entire yeah. time you're training and your pod will train with you each other, but you're not going to swap with anybody else. And you stay six to 10 feet away from everybody else, the entire seminar, right? Like, and um, so, so you can infect each other, but you'll be doing that at home anyway. So, you, could, you yeah. know, and then Martin kind of just walked between the groups and then taught and gave cues and then it worked. And we went all the way through the seminar and zero people there was like zero coming off of that nobody um there was not one covid case that i know of um so that's the whole thing so we ran it but it was nerve-wracking and i was the, it was yeah. different managing yes. the event i was like oh we have to make sure everybody adheres to this you know they don't train all day and then they go for pints in the evening and just mix it up i'm like there's no point in doing that um but we caught pulled it off but um but what we started doing which is what we're kind of still doing now at least for the time being in the States, is that we have this hybrid system where twice a week we do have like a social distance class still, where there's, mm. again, you don't change partners and you just, just with one person. And essentially there's only six to eight people that train anyway. So it's kind of a self-isolating pod and that's it. Um, and then all the other classes are online. Um, and then I've got the occasional private student that I teach one-to-one, -one, um, but we maintain, you know, um, COVID testing, all kinds of other stuff like that to make sure that we're, um, that we're cool. And if there's any indication, I, you know, I came back from essential travel recently and two weeks, you know, I was off until I got a COVID test and that was negative. I didn't do anything in person. Right. Um, yeah. But what I found was really interesting was that for months, some of those people 
didn't do anything online. They're like, I don't want to do the Zoom classes. I'm not interested in watching somebody do Sistema. It, there's no point. You can only do it through feeling and pushing and pulling, right? And so they completely stopped. And maybe they're doing their own breath work and some push-ups and things, but nothing directed, right? And nothing with us. They haven't been coming along, right? And then some people have been doing all of the online classes. And then of those people, the ones that showed up either for one-to-one -one privates with me or for those group classes, I could see the difference between the people who had been studying online and the people who hadn't. The people who hadn't, and both people had lost some skills, right? There's some skills like just taking impacts and, yeah. you know, like wrestling kind of touch and feel. Obviously, they're perishable. You don't practice them and you lose a little bit of the feel and it takes a while to come back. Yeah. So everybody across the board had lost those. But the people who've been training online and working on like aspects of pressure and moving their body around in different ways and I'm passing through things I've learned from Vlad's classes and Emmanuel's classes and Martin's and things. The people that have been doing those came back with some new abilities that they didn't have beforehand, like mm -hmm. in physical combat. They, they were more stable. They were more sensitive. You know, they, they could keep themselves a little bit more emotionally detached while they're wrestling and pushing and pulling in a way that they never learned to do when all they were doing was showing up. Somehow the physical interaction gave them an excuse to just always kind of make it a play and a fight. And and they never took it entirely seriously. But it added an element of mindfulness, for the want of a better word, uh, or seriousness to their own training, which then carried through so that when they actually met people, they weren't like, oh, it's you, we, right? They met each other and then like, there's me and I'm keeping my structure and there's you and, and we're doing this thing now, you know? <laughs> and it, it added this mindfulness that I didn't see in, in some of the students. And it's been really interesting to see the value of that quite apart from the physical training. Have you seen anything similar? You said you were on and off and sometimes uh, getting a yeah. chance to see people. Did you see any similar effects? I mean, uh, yeah. I've done a similar thing where, you know, there's been, um, and even in the classes when we went back to the academy, I I allowed the people to zoom in and the, yeah. the physical people, which I'd been toying with that idea for a while, you know, knowing that, mm. you know, that the amount of people interested, have even heard of Systema in my small area is yeah. tiny, but, you yeah. know, in the world is bigger. So, so actually, I realized that um, some folks might not know where you're at. I didn't introduce you at the start because you've been on the podcast before. Can you just tell folks whereabouts are you in the UK? And um, Yeah, I live in Wiltshire in the UK. Um, so kind of, I'm about five miles outside Bath. Okay. Um, for those around the world, it's... Uh, West Country. West Country, uh, <laughs> near Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, about a 20-minute drive from Stonehenge. So again, okay, and cool. in the countryside. Just, so, just to locate people if they're in, you know, in Japan or something, or the states listening yeah. to this and they haven't trained with you. So, sorry, yeah, I realised that that was I was remiss there for not doing that. <laughs> no worries. And um, yeah, and it, I've seen a similar thing. So, I think what people have been able to focus on is, you, you know, on the Zoom classes, is the staple of Systema. You know, we've known for a long time that it comes from health to combat, and you take a, a calm, stable psyche, smooth movement, strength through the movement, through the range, good mm -hmm. breathing you know, into combat and it's hard to go the other way, you know? And, and so, you know, when we did come back, you know, I've seen people coming from a much smoother, moving, calmer, stronger, more stable base. And I think also they, they've been able to for a whole year work almost exclusively on themselves rather than thinking about competing with a partner and the tensions that come with that and the ego that comes with that. They've mm -hmm. been able to take that right down and, and come back up. And of course you anticipate a danger in that, that people will be, you know, even more stressed and, um, 
destabilized by you know the tension of working with someone else but you know i don't think that's happened you know because because it's interesting in systema you know actually hard physical contact with a partner is a really small amount of the practice, maybe five, ten percent, depending on where you train. But even even in most, even in Vladimir's, you know, school, mm-hmm. it's it, you know, it, it's by no means near fifty percent of the practice. Mm-hmm. You, know, you may have physical contact, but it's not, you know, intense physical contact. You know, because mm-hmm. because you've got the the build, the warm up, the you know, mm-hmm. and the, you you move to a point of, you know, checking and testing. But mm-hmm. you know that that's a small part of the practice. So I think. Um, where was I going with that? You were just talking about the focus and the differential between people who are trained online versus not online, and yeah. how their attitudes have changed a little bit when they come back to work face to face again. Yeah, and that's and yeah, I was going to say the there's there's a small there's only a very small part of Systema that's actually that hard physical you know contact side anyway. So you know I think um, people have really had the chance to to deepen their skills and understanding of the staples of Systema anyway. And I yeah. think when when we, you know, fully go back into hopefully not too far away now, uh, you know, mm. the, uh, the, the the full contact side, uh, I think people, I mean, I can see in the way people move and how they relax anyway, you know, yeah. the stability of the psyche and the movement. But, uh, you know, I, I've got no doubt that that'll translate well into into mm. their, their work. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be a huge refractory period when once we get the the green light, as it were, and everybody's vaccinated, or we get to herd immunity, or whatever bounce happens between those two things, and then people feel you know liberated to do it. Um, there's going to be a, you know a, a renaissance, I think, of you know an enthusiasm for getting outdoors, yeah. getting together. There, there was a book kind of I think something called Blueprint of a Pandemic or something. I was actually trying to get the um, get the author so that I could interview them for the podcast and talked about them, and he was talking about you know historically what happens. And it's pretty much, you know, this is one of the most predictable things that you can look at in history. It's like about every hundred years, there'll be some sort of zoonotic virus that jumps and then wipes out a good proportion of the planet. And then and we go through the same patterns every time. It's like it's every hundred years and every hundred years, everybody acts shocked because nobody remembers it. Because, you know, the 1918 pandemic, there's nobody really alive now who remembers it. Right. Yeah. They might have been five when it happened. Right. But there's, but they're not if they made it to like 110 or something. But there's nobody alive now that remembers it. So there's no kind of cultural memory of what it was like and if you look at it the 1918 pandemic the same thing happened like there, there was a thing everybody blamed another country for it you know like the english called it the the spanish flu and the spanish called it the italian flu and the italians <laughs> called it the chinese flu and everybody called you know first of all blame and denial right and then yeah. everybody's like oh it doesn't really exist they're just and then it hits and real things happen like so it's hard to get to the denial and then there's just outrage like how dare this happen and who was responsible for letting this into the country and what's going on and then a period of kind of depression and acceptance where everybody's like oh i guess we have to change life and we have to stay indoors and then the public attempting to isolate, uh, the government attempting to isolate people or make them put masks on and resistance movements of people like, oh, I'm not doing that. This happened in 1918 and it happened like in 1840, I think, or something. Same yeah. patterns of things. The only difference is now we have vaccines, right? Which So there's an expectation that somebody yeah. should come and save us, whereas before it was handled a bit differently. But then apparently the same arc happens in which you have like a year of kind of denial and bargaining and negotiating, a year of acceptance and just terrible drudgery and everybody being depressed and economy is getting crushed and things like that. And then a year in which 
things are actually okay. Things have gone on to the upturn. The, the virus is contained and you can interact, but people are so shell-shocked. They, they've over two years of not interacting with each other and being twitchy and nervous that they still don't, right? There's a year of just awkwardness and people being mm. weird, followed by a year of just orgies and and yeah. physical contact and, and drinking, you know, like well, post-1918. The in the 20s, the roaring 20s came out of that. It's just like, ah, we're no longer, you know, let's just do this. Charleston, yeah. drinking, free sex, whatever, you know. Everybody just did their thing. And he's like, and he's positing the same thing will happen here. It's in, and I think there's going to be that, you know, already I think people are realizing, as you said earlier on, you don't really understand the value of something until it's taken away. So yeah. taking taking away the ability for you to meet up with friends in a pub, you know, uh, you could like in theory have somebody around your house, but you suddenly realize the value of the pub. It's like a, you know, a safe space where nobody has to host and you don't have to worry about cleaning things and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's gone. And they go, well, do we meet people outside? How do we do this? Which friends am I really interested in staying in touch with? If I'm going to make a pod, who's in this pod, right? And then yeah. family is really finding out who really supports them and who doesn't and all those things. And then people appreciating the value of the outdoors and, you know, just getting outside and walking and hiking. So many people doing that more now because that's the only option available to them instead of the CrossFit and the other stuff they were doing and seeing that. And uh, I think there's just going to be an explosion of people going like, let's move, let's breathe, let's shove each other and get to the outdoors and go trekking and hiking and expeditions and climb Everest, whatever, you know, let's, let's just do this. There's going to be an explosion of it, I think, at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. talked about sort of, uh, you, you know, what what practices, what things have, have kind of got you through or, or you found value in. And, and I, I think although my day to day hasn't really changed that much, apart from not going to the academy, you yeah. know, the children are being homeschooled at the moment. So that that has its own challenges and opportunities, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but, you know, certain things like and they're timeless old principles, but. Um, gratitude, you know, so, you know, there's been so much taken away, but just taking that moment, like, you know, even now, you know, before around a Sunday where kind of, we'd say, uh, you know, thanks before we eat on a Sunday and just, you know, go around the table and, you know, what are you thankful for from this week? You know, but that's, it's been interesting to see what the children have started being thankful for, you know, mm -hmm. around these times, like friends to go for a walk with, you know, and meet up with in the village. And, you know, the fact that we can go for a walk in the countryside in the village or that we've yeah. got a dog that wants to go out every day that, you know, make sure we go out and have a walk as a family, you know, having an Internet that works, you know, having a, some, you know, some IT that works that enables them to connect with friends, you know. Sure. And, yeah. and so, you know, just the, the you know being thankful and, and focusing on those small things. So although it may seem twee and trite, I, I think some of those timeless things that, that you've always done, you, you kind of realize a little bit more the value of them. Yeah. And some people, you know, the, the value of meditation, reflection, prayer, you know, to take a moment to just calm down a little bit and, yeah. and, breathe and, and the fact that it's been, you know, easier to, you know, the whole pace of life has calmed down a little bit, haven't they? And I think a lot of people have gone, whoa, actually, I quite like this, you know, yeah, it's yeah. actually been quite nice. You know, there's obviously these huge difficulties and challenges and some yeah. people have had a lot worse than others. But I think everyone has felt a drop in the pace of life and, and 
you know, I haven't spoken to anyone that said, no, I want to rev it back up again. Yeah, you know, people, it's, it's made people realize they've been redlining it for a while, right? That a lot of people have just been, and sometimes you just get to that place accidentally. You didn't mean to. You didn't mean to be a workaholic who never sees his kids, you know? Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden you're at home with your kids and they're like, oh, I should be working. I'm feeling twitchy. I should be busy in producing something. And then you've got no choice. And then you're like, okay, well, now I'm at home with the kids. Let's learn how to skateboard, you know, like or something yeah. else. And it, it settles yeah. into something else. Yeah, it's, it's certainly for, for my family. I think there's there's been a pivot to thinking about what we're going to do as we come out of the end of it. Like, you know, what adventures are we going to go on? Let's, you know, let's buy a camper van and just drive across Europe once we get the chance to do it again, you know, as soon as this opens right. up. So I think it's really important both to have the presence and being like, what can we do now? What can we be grateful for? What's actually happening here that we can do yeah. every single day? But also to have a view on the future and be like, you know, what are we really going to you know, what are we going to value going forwards as well? And, you know, this is an opportunity to course correct as well, I think, you know. Yeah, So to that end, actually, thinking about your um, your your epic expedition, expeditions that you've done in the past, right? You've done a couple. You did one, I believe, into to, uh, Southeast Asia. Is that right? Um, Borneo, yeah. Born, Borneo, that's right, yeah. And you were planning one, I think, to Central America. Is it Guatemala, somewhere like the jungles of Guatemala? Yeah, Guatemala. Um, but coming up, was that supposed to be this year or was that? Um... So that, that at the moment, still is this year. It's meant to be May. Okay. And okay. I, I spoke yeah. on Friday to the guys in Guatemala and yeah. to the UK-based kind of uh, travel guys here. And at the moment, it's still on. And, you know, I've got 23 people okay. who are uh, still committed to going and... I've told them, you know, at the moment, plan as if you're going, because mm -hmm. what you don't want to do is be half cocked when yeah. it's time to go, you know. So in terms of their, their mental preparation and physical preparation and getting the kit ready and stuff, you know, plan as if you're going, because worst case is it's pushed to the right a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, this isn't going to go on forever. So, you know, yeah. it's and I think, uh, uh, you know, um, much an appetite right, you know, right the way around the. The, the people coming, the people we're meeting in Guatemala, and the you know the the company that's uh, organising the travel. So that's that's all still um, very much on. And yeah, okay. great. And, so and can, can you tell us a bit? Can you tell us a bit about the last trip? I'm kind of uh, eager to live vicariously through your recent travels because, and I know a lot of people have been trapped and locked down and just thinking about you know where we're going to go. So how was the last trip to Borneo? Like, what did you? What did you learn about yourself and others as you did that trip? I mean, I know you had experience probably, you know, with survival type training, like in the army that's prepped you for this, um, but maybe some time between that and then this effort. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and and you're going in a different context. You're leading a bunch of, you know, civilians uh, to this area and people who hadn't had similar training to you. So what was it like? And can you, you know, just tell us about what it was like arriving and setting up and all this stuff? Yeah, well, initially it was going to be a small group, uh, and I just did it as a favor for someone that really wanted to do a jungle trip, because I, I do these things anyway, you know, in Sistema, there's a, a thing about going outside, Vladimir does the camps every couple of years, and I know you've done those, and yeah. and um, I, I did them in the UK, and then I, I wanted things a little bit more remote, and it's hard to find remote in the UK, so I did a couple in Sweden, mm. where we kind of flew into Norway and, and got dropped off, and then hiked in for like six eight hours uh, mm. to the middle of the forest and and there you can drink water straight from the lakes you know it's completely fresh and pure and there's a well to draw water and um and uh, and you don't see anyone else you know so yeah. so that was good and and then when i and they were very much like vlads so they were living in the outdoors and training systema um 
but you know at, at, during the day for for a, a big period but we stayed in one place hmm. and then you know i'd explain bits about how to get a fire going or you know how to choose the place that you set up your hammock and you know how important it is and it might not seem important now but believe me when you're in a extreme environment like the jungle and i often hmm. use the job because i've been to the jungle twice in the army hmm. uh, when you you know when you're in an extreme environment if you don't get things right they unravel quickly, like yeah. within hours, not days, you know, mm. or weeks. And, um, and 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 one of the guys that came, Hayden, who uh, he's a, the main instructor at the club, aside from me, who covers if I'm away, mm. he said, oh, do you ever consider going to the jungle again and doing one of these things out there? And I I humoured him and said, eh, maybe one day, but I had no intention of even thinking about getting my head around taking a group of people to the jungle. To Borneo, yes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Halfway around the world, literally from the UK. So. Yeah, yeah. Borneo, you know. And so, and then one day he came and did some work at the house. And to cut a long story short, at the end of it, I said, you know what, do I owe you? And he said, no, you don't owe me anything, but next year we're going to the jungle. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. So then... It Everybody actually, needs friends like that, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that push you into weird stuff. Him, I think. But, but I'm, I'm really glad he did, because when I actually got my head around it and rang a few contacts and, and got in touch with a few people, it was actually much easier to organise than I thought. And I got quite excited about it, you know, about the, you know, and I, I knew I had to, you know, get to a, a level within myself again. And, um, it, it and although I say it was easier than I thought, actually, uh, first of all, I thought, well, I'll look at some companies that do it already and mm. see if I can, you know, piggyback on that and then go to places they've gone and get the guy they go with and, and then just take my own. But I couldn't find anyone that does it. You know, there's people that do it for TV programs, but there's no one that does it, mm. you know, takes a group of people into the jungle in the way I wanted to. There's plenty that will take you on like a day's hike and you stay at different lodges. Mm. But you know, there's no one that'll take you in carrying all your food for a week and sleeping in the trees, you know. Yeah. I, I guess there's not a market for it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so I eventually found someone that kind of would meet me halfway and they'd never done it before. They had to do all the risk assessments and they're, you know, like a, they sell hundreds of millions worth of these pounds worth of these trips each year, but they didn't have anywhere in the world they did this. Mm. But I kind of worked with them and, and we fleshed it all out. And um, I had, I said I'd take six, and that grew to 12 just through, organically through word of mouth. And then one dropped out. And I, so I put out an email to say, look, I'm planning this trip. It's to Borneo. There's going to be six days in the jungle, carrying all your food, moving with the natives, moving every day. Um, it's not a systemic course as you think of it in terms of stopping and doing training sessions. But believe me, you'll be doing Sistema all day, every day. Mm. In terms of learning how to move with the environment, to move soft, to not fight the environment, mm. to not fight the weight, not fight the heat, mm. you know, to think about your breathing, understand how to recover, how to endure, how to, how to soften yourself, how to you know, make yourself maximally efficient and in so many ways. And mm. to manage your own psyche, you know, your fears, your anxieties, the stresses of the jungle. Because, you know, it's not just the terrain, it's the heat, it's the... Mm unknown it's the apprehension it's the pressure of being able to perform you know because it's not just a physical performance you need to be on top of your kit your routine of setting up your sleeping area taking it down you know it, it i'm you know i don't want to build it up it any, anyone can do it but you have to be on your game you know yeah well not anyone can do it but you know you have to be on your game mm. and um and so i sent out this email i explained a bit about the trip um and 
overnight the next morning i had 60 emails in my inbox to say i'd be really interested in coming yeah so after a lot of phone calls i i whittled it down and in the end i took 18 people mm. um, and um and i thought that was a manageable group size mm. and um and it worked out better than i could have hoped you know firstly everyone came home mm. um <laughs> which is always a plus <laughs> which is always a plus and it was just a privilege of an experience for me to be able to take people into that environment, you know, probably the oldest ecosystem on the planet. Mm. I think it is the oldest ecosystem on the planet. You know, mm. the, the Borneo in the jungle in Borneo, I think is the, maybe the third oldest, the oldest ones in Australia, which is mm. like, I don't know how many hundred, 240 million years old. I think the one in Borneo is 180 million years old. And, mm. and, um, and to, to see that environment and to, to feel it, to hear it, to smell it, and to live in it. And the, the two things really um, stood out for me. One was to, it, well, the first one was how efficiently people were able to slip into like a I ran it like a platoon. So, you know, I split people into buddies first. So everyone had a buddy pair for safety. So that, you know, at any time, if I saw one person on their own, I, I could say, where's your buddy? And then you, mm. he's just walked over that hill for a quick pee. He'll be back in five minutes. You know, they knew exactly where they were. So for mm. safety. Um, and and then, you know, they two two pairs made a four and two fours made an eight. And they were, mm. you know, they were, they were two eights. And, you know, each group had a, had a, 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 a kind of leader for that period and they changed over regularly but in terms of and i taught them hand signals so they weren't you know talking all the way through and so they learned some skills and and you know the the routines that you go through and it just made everything seamless and and move really work really smoothly and people really enjoyed that that learning some of those skills and being able to operate like that it really enhanced the whole experience for people mm. it was less kind of scattered and more that they were able to take in more because they were sitting in a, a, a long-standing routine, mm. uh, and and of course it, it goes much older than the military. That it goes back to the scouts and native scouts. You know that sure, the military being in a band kind of thing. Those guys, you know. Mm. So um, so that that was the first thing, and and how safe and uh, um, easy that made everything. And then the second thing that I, I really hadn't anticipated feeling in quite the way I did was how it felt to, to, to move and live with natives like for that length of time. And we we were lucky. The guy that my main point of contact was uh, an ex-Malaysian soldier who'd worked with the SAS in Borneo. And he had a, a you know, he, he knew how the natives worked and he knew how we worked. And more importantly, he knew how I worked. In mm. fact, my first conversation with him was about four weeks before we were due to go. And I could tell he was a little bit apprehensive. We'd, we'd communicated by email, but I could tell he was apprehensive at the start. And then he said something and I, I said something in return. I can't even remember what it was. And he, he stopped and paused and he said, you weren't in the military, were you? And I said, yeah, I said, I, I spent six years in the parachute regiment as a captain. Mm. And I, I literally heard him fall to the floor and he got back up. He said, I can't tell you how relieved I am to hear that," he said. Because, yeah, when I was thinking I was taking these eighteen civilians into the jungle with no experience of it, mm -hmm. I said, "You know, you can imagine how apprehensive I was." But he said, 
Now, and it, there was a lot of expletives because they swear a lot. Yeah. But he said, "I'm really, really pleased." Yeah. And um, and uh, but the the natives that came with us, they they still live in that part of the jungle. And we on on the night we went in, we met with the local chief, and he gave us his two sons, his eldest and middle son. Uh, and then they, they took another two people that came with us. And initially, obviously, there was a, uh, a language barrier and they were a bit standoffish. But like on night two, Joe, one of the kind of really hippie, could talk to anyone guys, was down by their fire and sharing a smoke with them, you know. Mm. And uh, and they were laughing and they, they couldn't understand each other, but they were just laughing with each other, you know. Mm. And, then, uh, and, and little by little, kind of, we they opened up a little bit over the days and then i think on the third night they offered to show us you know how they fish and one of the guys made a fishing rod in about three minutes just cut a piece of bamboo took a piece of string out fashioned a little hook and was fly fishing and catching fish within about five minutes because obviously the rivers there are still teeming with fish you know that like rivers would have been Mm -hmm. and um and then there was a point where he said stop look or kind of did that and he pointed to the chief's son and he was walking across the river and you know it was like knee deep and it had some pools in it and uh, and there were stones and he was barefoot but walking so soft you know nothing no in his shoulders or anything just walking across the river like you know like it was a carpet underneath and then he just dived in and uh and he came up holding a fish it was like something off crocodile dundee and (laughs) i was expecting it to be like this you know, a bit of a joke, like a rubber fish he was holding. And it wasn't. And, and it, you know, he showed us how you see a fish, you dive in, and it, like he dived in without a ripple, obviously, and um, and chased it into a hole. And when it's in a hole, you can just reach your hands in and catch it because uh, this is a type of fish that hides quickly under the bank. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, we ate with them that night. And I can remember on the last day thinking um, what was the most impact. I, I gave a little kind of talk on the last morning so that people really soaked in the experience and understood it you know we'd had a party the night before with uh, the, the the guy the, the the natives and um and I, I almost got a bit teary because you know when i thought about it it was that that really caught me you know because i'd done the jungle a couple of times before i was prepared for that i was so impressed and proud with how everyone had stepped up because although i say everyone can do it it was hard you know it was eight hours a day of walking with 20 plus kilograms of kit, you know, and either like that or like that, you know, and yeah. through rivers and things, um, you know, and they'd all done amazingly well. And there were no fallouts or shouting matches or anything like that, which often happens when you throw new people together with and throw in some stress, you know. Mm. And, and, and when I thought about it, you know, the thing that really I'd never experienced before was – that idea of living with natives and see how they move, how they live, how they communicate, how at ease they were in their environment. And I, I loved the films like Dances with Wolves and Last of the Mohicans. And I'd always grown up running around the woods, just imagining, pretending to, mm. to, to kind of, you know, live in those times. And for a week, you know, I got the chance to live with those guys as they live. And, and it was such a, an honor and a privilege. And, I, my my lasting memory of the one of them it was it, it was the eldest son, and he took in a rifle that had been given to his granddad during the the Malay campaign, the Borneo campaign, and which was like 
what was it, 50 years ago? Something like I, I, I should know this. <laughs> a long time ago anyway. But the family had passed it down through the generations and preserved it. And they'd put an extender piece on like a, uh, a, a nickel piece on the end, like a you know really bright silver. And it was so well maintained. And he had this on his back. And and he had like his native clothes on, and it just looked like it was like watching Chingach cook, you know, the last of the Mohicans walking up the river. And I've just I've got a lovely photo of it, mm. and um, uh, yeah, it was a really, really, uh, you know, it, it, uh, an experience for me and and for the guys that that you know you won't forget. And so, did you did you see? that it was kind of transformative for the guys that went with you? Did you notice a difference between those guys that had been on the trip who then trained with you afterwards, presumably the ones that were within your group, and the ones that hadn't had something like tangible changed in them after they came back to the UK? Yeah, it, it's a couple of big things. So there was one guy that came, Chris, who'd been training with me for four or five years, and he said, uh, uh, he said, I, I, I thought I got the breathing in Sistema before we went, and, you know, but... I never appreciated it until in, 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 in what it actually was until we went to the jungle. Mm. And he said, now I feel like I understand how and why it's so important and beneficial. Mm. Um, my brother uh, came and uh, he's got a very high stress job. He's like on all the time and uh, he's he kind of managed. The rest of my family have got their own business where they, they run it's a haulage company. They've got about 50 trucks and trailers. And, you know, my brother manages where they all are at any one time. And if there's breakdowns, he knows who's closest and who to send. And he never switches off. And uh, and he changed dramatically in that period, you know, really positively. Hmm. And um, he's great anyway. But, you know, that you could see the decompression in him. He's, he, when we came out, he was like, I can't believe I haven't really thought about work for a week. And, you know, all the guys that came out said, even though there were long periods where there was no conversation, you know, we were walking a lot, a long time, 12 hours sleep a night, because when it gets dark in the jungle, it's like someone turns a dimmer switch off mm. and then someone turns it on in the morning. It's that fast, you know, and that yeah. complete. Mm. And, um, and 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 they, I said to them at the end, I said, you know, were there any times when you were bored, you know, you were thinking, I wish there was more to do. And to a man, like none of them had a moment where they thought, oh, do you know, what am I going to do now? Mm. You know, there was always something to always something to do, and always something to engage them, and and just such a engaging and yet decompressing experience. That uh, sounds wonderful. I feel like I feel like I and. Uh, Probably most of the people listening to this podcast could use an experience like that right now. So. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's good. And then we've got Guatemala, hopefully in May, which is um, will be, uh, you know, a, a slightly uh, yeah, very similar, but, you know, yeah. different experience. And I think the big difference here is um, the the ruins, the, the chance to see those places. You know, Guatemala is one of the archaeological hotspots of the world at the moment with the LIDAR technology, you know, with the planes fly over the top and, mm. The, the lasers penetrate and just melt the jungle and the, the shapes stand up in relief. And they're realizing that, you know, 80 percent more, even in small areas, they haven't even done all of it yet. They've just covered, you know, small areas around where the existing sites are. And mm. it, it's just it, it's all it, it was like they, they think some of the places were bigger. Cities were bigger than London, mm. you know, had like. 10 million people living in wow. there and yeah. um, and they happen to rewrite the whole understanding of it and the guy that's taken us in carlos um his 
great-grandfather was a, a, a shaman. And Carlos lived in the jungle till he was 14 and then, you know, went to school. And so he's taken us in with with his relatives that still live in there. Um, mm. And he's the guy that, you know, when National Geographic go to Guatemala, they try and get him to take them in. So I've been really lucky to get him. And, um, and he's going to take us around some sites that um, LIDAR hasn't even found yet, you know, that they were looted centuries ago, but mm. archae- they haven't even been reported to archaeologists yet, you know, some of these sites. So it'll, yeah. be, uh, it'll be quite a privilege to see those. And, and he'll be able to, you know, he was taken there as a kid with his granddad, and his granddad would say, this is where they did the sacrifices, and this, when you stand here and the sun comes up, this is what you mm. see and why and stuff. So it'll be fascinating, you know. And amazing. it's a jungle because Borneo is full of rivers and valleys. This is a little bit flatter, still steep, but mm. more kind of water holes. So, mm. you know, he said, and obviously the, the great thing about that is you've got like animals can drink at any point of a river, but they mm. have to specifically come to a water hole. So mm. the chance of seeing, um, and there's a very healthy, large cat population there. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, uh, so yeah, you know, the chance of seeing certainly the tracks if mm. not, uh, it, he said, it, it, what he'll do with this is set up a night trap, not to mm. catch it, but a night trap with a torch. So, you know, mm. you, they focus it on an area where they see the animal tracks come down and mm. the, the likely spots where they'll drink. And then we'll go out on a night walk and sit the other side of the water hole. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, we might be lucky to be able to see a jaguar or a puma, you know, drinking from the water hole, which would be quite amazing. Yeah. That would be incredible. Yeah, there's, I think there's a bunch of kind of smaller cats there as well, like a whole bunch of them that, you know, yeah. tree climbing things like margays and things like that, you know, cats that yeah. run up and down trees and things. So there's, there's, yeah, I, I would love to see a whole bunch of that from my zoology nerd perspective. That would be great. Um, Brilliant. So is it the roster full for that one, presumably? You've got you've got your squad. Do you know who you're taking? Everything's happening. Uh, so there's this, well, I've got one space, um, and uh, I, I just had an email yesterday that is looking like, uh, two, a father and son team might have to drop out because of the situation. Yeah. Um, and uh, which, of course, you know, is is gutting, but understandable. Mm. So, um, so yeah, there, there might be a couple of spaces. So anyone listening, um, yeah. get in touch with right. the links that Glenn's going to put up. Yeah. I'm going to edit that bit out of the podcast and just contact <laughs> you myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> pure oh, selfishness <laughs> yeah no brilliant that sounds wonderful so um so finally what's going on next for you uh, you've mentioned um we talked a little bit beforehand about your um online offerings and i and i saw that you're coming up with um new formats for the downloadables and and, and yeah. a big project and it works can you tell us a little bit about that oh. yeah so i've got a a number of each of the books I've got out um, have, and the people that have bought the books will know. So that I've put for each of the drills, I've put a free video link in them. So yeah. uh, so, that, so that, you know, there's there's those that have been out there for a while. Mm. I've got a, a couple of downloadables, uh, a, a breathing one, um, a, a, a mobility one. And I'm just about to release a stick mobility one and strengthening mm. um, downloadable resource. I've also put out a free, and maybe this would be a good link to put in there. It's a free guided breathwalk. Yeah. Those that do system will know the value of breathwalks, but yeah. I, I've had um, you know loads of people that have signed up and used it that didn't really know, obviously didn't know what Systema was, but you know the, the versatility and the the variety of different breath ladders and and breath practices, breath different types of breath holds, and the sensitivity and postural tension awareness that you can do just on a walk, you know. So that's about an hour long. That's on the website as a free downloadable. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, uh, I've I've just had a, a um, it's about to be released in March. So a guy from Fr- a publisher from France asked if he could publish 
Systema Health and Living Systema as a combined volume in French. So that's okay. about to come out soon um, in in French. And um, and what I've also been doing behind the in the background is putting together a, like a virtual academy, an online um, academy of of videos. So it's uh, for existing members. It'll be free for them to access, and that's going out kind of this week. And then in February. I think I'll I'll release it to to the wider community, and um, and it'll it'll be a, an additional resource for those who um, sign up for a membership to the academy, where they get all the online classes that six a week that I do. Mm. Plus, I send out recordings afterwards, so if people misses a class, if someone misses a class, mm. then they can catch up, or if someone wants to watch it again to deepen the understanding. Yeah. And I, I kind of what's worked quite well for me is. Um, uh, like I, I run a theme for the week. So I have a, a theme and, I, and I'll run that across the, the five classes, excepting the family class. And I always wondered whether that would be too much, whether people, because some people do all five, all five classes or four of them, you know, and I thought maybe it's too much. But, I, but uh, you know, unequivocally, the, the, the feedback I've had was it's good because it gives them a chance to reinforce the understanding and of course the classes change a little bit you know there's a theme but i kind of you know move left and right of it and as we go through it and i you know i kind of bring new things up from myself you know about the theme as i revisit it so so that that's worked quite well and um and those classes also get uploaded to this membership site so it's an ever-growing library mm. of resources and um so so that's going to be uh, available for people uh, coming so look out for that coming out soon that sounds um, great yeah, and yeah, that's it. I've I've got a seminar planned with Mikhail and Vladimir, um, but but that keeps being pushed to the right. So yeah, fingers crossed that that will be. I I reckon it'll be more kind of end of summer really. Um, yeah, that, that, that's that's more likely to happen. And then yeah. of course Guatemala in May. So yeah, that's quite a lot going on. In the middle of a pandemic, but yeah. <laughs> that's keeping yeah. me busy enough, definitely. And that's great. If, and I'll stick um I'll stick links to all, all the books. Uh, I have all the books, by the way, and they're they're all fantastic. So I can heartily oh, recommend them from a personal perspective, and I recommend them to my students as well. Um, I'll put links to those out for those who haven't discovered those yet, and then also to your site, um, where they can presumably learn about the academy when that comes online, and 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 train with you remotely. And if you're in the UK, obviously, if you're anywhere near Matt, and you're anywhere near the West Country, please do go try and train train in person when you get the opportunity once uh, once the barriers get lifted um, or train remotely if you can thanks glenn and um a, a quid pro quo uh, so uh, maybe the people listening won't know this but uh, i was in the house the other day and um my daughter was having a tidy up of her room and it's kind of a change out of books yeah. and i saw a book called why is snot green and, uh, and and i'd forgotten we had it and i think we must have had it about i don't know six years eight years something like that i don't know and um and then i for some reason i lingered on it and then i saw the name glenn murphy and then it all clicked and fell into place and i remembered that you know you you you'd, you'd done these books and i picked it up and you know i i showed the children and they they all laughed when they saw the cover and they they knew it and remember reading it because Mm. My eldest daughter had had it, and then Poppy, and then mm. now she's passed it to Monty. So, yeah, um, anyone reading that's got children, highly recommend all of Glenn's. And I think there's a huge or a big volume of books you've got and a new one coming out soon. So if you've got children, you know, get those books from Glenn. Cheers. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny, like uh, it's like a double life, right? I write science books for kids on the sides of teaching serious <laughs> personal defense and martial arts and stress tra training uh, to adults and stuff. But yeah, that was the, that was the first one. The why it's not green. My mother is so proud of the titles. It's amazing <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, it's funny. I, I but yeah, I've written about twenty five of them, and there's um, I think it was one. Maybe it was about Olympic sport or something. It was all, all about like the the science of different sports and you know how you what the physics of throwing things and the physics of jumping oh. and stuff like that and what happens in your body when you run things. And uh, and in the dedications, I put a thing to um to Vladimir and Valerie and like oh, thanks for helping me to develop my understanding of what physical activity oh. is and stuff like that. Um and, and they had no idea that I'd written these books. And I was up at Toronto one time training, and uh, it was about midway through something like class three or something like that. And on a Wednesday, and Vladimir just comes up and like kind of claps me on the back and he goes i didn't know you were author you write you write science books like this and i'm like yeah and he goes yeah this one's got you in it he's like what yeah how did you how could we not do wow. this i've known him for like you know six years or something and he's like why did you, you know i'm like it didn't come up you know so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny but oh, yeah but i'm glad your kids are enjoying them and uh, yeah hopefully we'll have another one for them this year so yeah my, my son's right. writing them with me now right. which is super fun because he's got all the fun questions so yeah and if you've got Perfect. kids aged between 8 and 12 especially yeah send me your science questions and they might get into a book so that'll be fun <laughs> awesome. well well thanks so much matt thanks for taking the time it's been just really nice on a personal level just catching up with you and just hearing yeah. what you've been up to and it was really wonderful just to hear about um your, your trip and i really hope the guatemala one comes off uh, you know like hitch free uh, in all of this and you get the opportunity to have another great experience there and everybody to come with you as well and, and all the best for the new academy and that sounds wonderful thanks for having me back on it was it was great to see you again and to speak yeah. Brilliant. thanks mate see you again soon take care thanks for listening if you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.